Well, let me start out by saying, because if you've been in this, in this series with us for a while, and you were here last week especially, let me start with this. I love my boss. I love my boss. I love working for him. I am glad to submit to him. Uh, I want to make him successful in every way that I can. And, and, and Mike and I uh, sub, uh, uh, started together about two and a half years ago, one week apart from each other uh, here at BBC. You know, before he assigned me this topic for this week, I used to think that he liked me. But ever since I've got this topic, and by the way, it's not just me who feels that. I've had several people this morning that, that knew what was coming up, and they were like, rut you're in for it today, Tom. So uh, thank you, Pastor Mike, boss, uh, for that, t- for today. Um, I actually, again, for last week's message, I thought it was a little bit harsh that he assigned this to me and didn't take it on himself. No, not, not really. If you were here last week, you know what I'm talking about there. Um, and I, but I seriously was tempted to do this, and I've heard of pastors that have. I was tempted to get up here, read the passage, go sit down by Beth, give you 30 minutes to think about it, and then come back up and close in prayer. That's how intimidated I was by this passage. Well, um, we are going to read it. We are going to study it together. And let, me, let me start with something here that I think relates. I've grown up around guns and hunting all of my life. So whenever I heard the word trigger, I knew exactly what they meant. The part of the gun that you pull with your trigger finger to make the gun shoot. I actually thought for one second this morning about bringing one for an object lesson, but then I thought of Officer Scott seeing that gun come out, and I thought, no, that wouldn't be wise today. Uh, Eleven years ago, um, my first wife, Kathy, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and within four months, uh, she was gone. Um, In the years since that time, I have since learned another use of the word trigger. Certain words can trigger our emotions. Certain pictures trigger thoughts and, ex- and responses from us. Believe it or not, even certain smells can trigger us. Well, this passage has some trigger words in it, especially for the ladies. So let me just get that straight out there. So as we get ready to, to read it together, please just remember, don't shoot the messenger. I thought about asking Officer Ken for one of his bulletproof vests, but uh, I didn't. But just in case there are security, I won't point them out to you, but they are down here and ready at the end of the service. Okay, enough joking around. Let's get to 1 Peter chapter 3 and let's dig in. Let me read it to you. It's 1 Peter 3, 1 through 8, and I'm going to read it from the English Standard Version. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word... They may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious." 
This is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good, and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Well, now you see what I was talking about with the trigger words. What do you think the trigger words are in this passage? Anybody? Yep, the S word, submission, weaker vessel, and gentle, quiet spirit. Those are usually the words that kind of trigger different thoughts and expressions um, in conversation. Well, now that we've read it, and some of you might be triggered, let, let me try to get you calmed back down by just taking a minute to look at the context again that we've been studying in Peter's letter. We always, always have to keep looking to the context to see what has been before, what is said after. We're looking for patterns, for repetition that we see so that we don't take Peter's words out of context and make them say something that he did not intend to say. As a reminder from Pastor Mike's messages, Peter is writing to people that are believers in Jesus Christ. They're being marginalized. In fact, in some cases they are being persecuted, and sadly in some cases they have been martyred for their faith. The culture around them looks at them with at least a jaundiced eye, to everything that they do. Peter is encouraging them to live in such a way that they live pure lives with integrity and above reproach to be a testimony to their society, to the culture that they are planting in. Chapter 2 and verse 12 says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, implying that in fact they will, They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Then in chapter 2, 13 is the the reference to being subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And then verse 18 tells servants to be subject to their masters with respect. Now let let me remind you as we get started what Pastor Mike has said the last couple weeks about submission. First of all, he said it means to willingly come under the rank of someone else. Keyword: willingly come under the rank of someone else. In the New Testament, he said, it's always a free choice to submit. Always a free choice to submit. So Peter is continuing the same theme here in chapter 3, verse 1, when he says, likewise. We, we could put in there, therefore, or in addition, Wives, be subject to your husband. It's like Peter is moving in his letter, in his writing, from governments and authorities to bosses or masters, and then narrowing down the funnel to where the most personal touch point is, and that's to us as families. Wives, husbands, all of you, which is a reference to the church, live in such a way in our relationships that we attract people to Jesus Christ. 
Now look, if you don't get anything else that I say today, if you get that sentence, you've got the essence of what Peter is talking about, not just here, but everything so far. Live in such a way in our relationships from these verses that we attract people to Jesus Christ. We all recognize the need for social order. There always has to be a leader. Someone has to have the final say. We know it in society. We know it in the workplace. We know it in our family. And we know it in the church. We just know it. We see it. We observe it. We know that it, that, that is true. There always has to be a leader. We need leaders to lead. And conversely, we need everyone else to follow. We need them to be willing to yield and come under the one that is responsible to lead. We see right away here in verse 1 this theme to live holy lives in imitating Jesus so that others will be one. Others will be brought to faith in Jesus Christ. Others will be reconciled. Others will be saved. Wives, live in such a way that if your husband is not a believer in Jesus Christ, which is meant by the phrase, do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wife, because they see your respectful and pure conduct. This winning them over without a word makes even more sense when we understand that in the culture there were arranged marriages. In addition to the arranged marriages, there were also this fact that the men were typically significantly older than the women. It would not be uncommon at all for a 30-year-old man to take as a wife a 15-year-old woman. In a culture where the women were often limited and marginalized already, and then you put a young woman, some even say that age 14 they begin to call them ladies because they, they have reached puberty. So you take a 30-year-old man and a girl, woman that has just barely come out of puberty, and you put them with an older man, and it makes perfect sense that for a woman to be the most effective in winning her husband to Christ, it would be from her respectful, pure conduct, not from what she's going to say. Remember that culturally, the wives were expected to follow the husbands in whatever spiritual pursuit they decided upon. That's what was expected of them. So when a man became a Christian, he would basically bring his whole family to the church. However, when a woman chose to follow Christ, she usually came alone. However, when a woman chose to follow Christ, she came alone, but Jesus sort of turned it on its ear and upside down when he invited women to, come to commit to him and come to him whether or not their husbands approved. And Paul even took it a step further when he said in Galatians 3.28, there is no difference between Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. You know, I've sometimes heard it said that these men and leaders of the Bible were male chauvinists and put women down and subjugated them. Culturally, in that day, that certainly was going on. But I don't see that at all from the example of Scripture. In fact, just the opposite. The New Testament never follows the pagan idea that women are weaker in mind or, in, or morally inferior to men. 
In fact, in verse 7, it says that women are fellow heirs with men. Now look, there's some amazing godly wives right here at Bethany Bible Church that are married to men who are not followers of Jesus. In some cases, they've lived their whole married life following the example of this passage, trying to win their husbands to Christ through their behavior, not their words. This morning, I, I, we want to applaud you. We want to tell you that we support you. We encourage you. You are living examples of this, and you pave the way for others that are going to follow in such a way that your husbands are shown Christ whether they come to faith in Him or not. So wives of unsaved husbands, the best way to show them Christ is with your conduct, not your word. Then Peter goes on in verses 3 through 6 to help them again know how it is that they can be the most effective in showing their men faith in Christ. And it is not through the external emphasis, but through the inner beauty of their heart. And that is best demonstrated with a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious to God. Now let's say what Peter is not saying. Peter is not saying they should not wear jewelry. He's not saying they should not get their hair done. He's not saying they should never cut their hair. He's not saying they should not want to look nice. He's not saying they should never have a mani or a petty. He's saying that... that, uh, and, And you know what the truth is about the people, the audience that Peter was writing to? Most of them were either poor or slaves. So if they were poor or slaves, they didn't even own any jewelry, and they probably only had one or two pieces of clothing to their name. So what I think he is saying is that none of us has a better chance of bringing their husband to Christ than for his, their wife to have a beautiful heart, gentleness, softness in her approach to him, respectful in her responses to him, treating him as a lover, Leader, not a loser. This gentle, quiet spirit is a beauty that never fades and only becomes more attractive as time goes on. Well, let me summarize for all of you that are note-takers like me. Wives, the best way to see your husbands give their lives to Christ is, one, not through your words. Two, it is through your conduct. Three, it is not through an emphasis on the outward beauty. And four, it is through an emphasis on the inner beauty, which, as Peter says here, in God's sight is very precious. Well, he goes on to give us the example of Sarah in verse 6. Specifically in the context, it's referring to Genesis 18 and verse 12, where Sarah refers to Abraham as my Lord. Remember that at one point in Genesis 12, verses 12 through 20, Abraham was afraid for his life, and so he lied about his relationship with Sarah. Again, in Genesis chapter 20, uh, he does it again, and we get even more details into the story. And interestingly, Genesis 20 is 25 years later than Genesis 12 in the incident in Egypt. So we would have thought Abraham would have learned his lesson, but he didn't. He said Sarah was his sister, according to chapter 20 and verse 12. But but Sarah was the daughter of his father, not his mother, so she was a half-sister. 
Well, this was obviously not the husband leader's finest hour. And it reminds me and reminds us that all husbands are going to fail their wives. Sadly, often, and unfortunately, a lot. Especially when the husband is not driven through the influence and power of the Holy Spirit out of a love for Christ and desire to imitate Him in the way that He loves His wife as Christ loved the church. According to verse 6, a natural response from the wife would be fear. Do not fear anything that is frightening. Interesting use of words from the ESV. The New King James Version says, not afraid with any terror. I'm not sure that helps us anymore, but I think this does. It must be somewhat scary for a believing wife to submit herself to an unbelieving husband. We have to acknowledge that. We also have to say that Peter, nor anywhere else in Scripture, would it say submit to anyone where it would involve something sinful, something that is disobedient to God's Word, or potentially physically harmful. That is not what is being said. So this is a picture of a courageous woman who during fearful circumstances does not let fear overtake her and shrink back in intimidation. For a wife to follow the example of Sarah, she must not be intimidated or fearful. Yet how beautiful is the woman when in the midst of her husband's lying and failure to lead, does she not lash out in fear, but rather conducts herself with grace, courage, strength, and love. Now that is attractive. And therefore, attracting to the man that knows he doesn't deserve it. Let me add here, since I mentioned the word attractive, that is really at the heart of this passage. We are all to live in such a way that people are attracted to Jesus Christ because of our conduct. Living in integrity is both convicting and attracting. 2 Corinthians 2.15 describes us, the church, as the aroma of Christ to God. In verse 14, it says that through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. Every believer is called to be an influence for the gospel wherever we go throughout the world. The way that we live really does matter, folks. Our conduct matters. Our integrity matters. Living as a gentle, quiet spirit matters. Living under the leadership of human institutions, of bosses, of husbands and wives is what we're expected to do. It's what is expected of us in order that others may come to know Christ. That's That's the hope. That's the reason to live in such a way. Regarding this theme of Peter's letter, John MacArthur says this. He says, Believers are constantly exposed to a world system energized by Satan and his demons. Their effort is to discredit the church and to destroy its credibility and integrity. One way these spirits work is by finding Christians whose lives are not consistent with the Word of God and then parading them before the unbelievers to show what a sham the church is. 
Christians, however, must stand against the enemy and silence the critics by the power of holy lives. All of you men in our Wednesday night uh, study of the Four Voices book, I hope you caught all of that because that is super relevant to what we're studying on Wednesday nights and to what we're studying. I was recently in a, a Zoom prayer gathering. Like most of you, I didn't even know what Zoom was before COVID, but I was in a Zoom prayer gathering just a couple of weeks ago of pastors across the valley um, in preparation for a citywide event that's going to come in November. You're going to be hearing more about it. We're excited about it. But one of the pastors caught my attention because his prayer said this, Our pursuit of power and individualism is not attractive, it's not beautiful, and it's not healthy. That was such a bold, honest declaration to God on really behalf of all of us churches in the valley and the reality of that. And it was a spirit of confession and repentance before God that that is sadly so true. Well, in verse 7, Peter includes husbands. Likewise, husbands. Well, likewise what? Submit. Live your wives in an understanding way. Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is interesting to me because in our culture today, our culture has almost diminished the role of man to this lazy, no good, farting, belching, scratching, sports watching, no good waste of human flesh. That's how our culture is presenting men. And yet here's Peter calling us back up to who we really are and what we really should be. He calls us to live with our lives in a servant leadership way, honoring them first and treating them as co-heir of Christ. You know, my wife Beth tells me that it's super sexy for a man to open the door for a woman. I thought I might even hear an amen for that from some of the ladies, but uh, anyway, so, uh, you know, she's perfectly capable of doing the door thing herself. But guess what? I love to open the door for her. She can also get up on a stepladder, but I actually think she kind of prefers me to get up on a stepladder. Beth is the smartest, techiest of both of us, and my first wife, Kathy, was a better saver and bill payer than me. So my point is that this is not about ability or smarts. Physically, usually men are stronger than women. Usually. However, when it comes to pain tolerance, well, that's a whole different story. Most of us men are wimps compared to our wives. God knew what he was doing when he planned for the woman to give birth to the children. There might be one child if it came from the man, if we could make it through the first trimester. We get a headache, man, we need a week off of work. Beth just about slices her finger off cutting a tomato, wraps it up in duct tape, and on she goes. So this weaker vessel reference is not inferior to. 
Wives are fellow heirs. Our wives need our protection, provision, and strength as husbands. Remember again the culture that Peter was in. These women were very vulnerable if isolated and on their own. Ephesians 5, 25-29 tells us husbands to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Love our wives as our own bodies. Cherish her because we are members of his body. I love this word cherish. It primarily means to heat or soften by heat. The idea then to keep warm as a bird's covering their young with their feathers. It means to be familiar with, to minister to, to foster with tender care. This is the picture that I get from the word cherish. Many of you are familiar with Jeff and Betty Bruett. They're relatively new to Bethany Bible Church. Super great people. Yes, I asked their permission to talk about them for those of you that are freaking out. They are known as the date night couple. Some of you were here for that date night thing that we did in the middle of COVID. Well, Jeff and Betty are the date night couple. Jeff is six foot, six inches tall, a big guy, and Betty is four foot six. Well, actually, she corrected me. She's four foot eight. So the idea of cherishing, the picture that I want to make for you is that Jeff would take his six foot, six inch frame and he would come down to, because she's literally looking at his belly button. Can you imagine? It's like a kid that walks around and all the kid sees is knees. Well, all Betty sees is Jeff's belly button. So, so cherishing would be literally this idea that Jeff stoops down. He gets down to the four foot eight level so that he can really care for his wife. He can really know his wife. He can really hear his wife. And he can really know her the best. That's the idea of the husband cherishing his wife. Or living with her in an understanding way giving her warm and tender affection, comfort, and security. I hate to admit it, but we, the men in the church, have often failed when it comes to loving and living like this. We have sometimes not been very attractive for women to find a safe place to serve and be served. In fact, Ephesians 5.21 tells us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So submission is the responsibility of the Christian husband as well. And in Hebrews 13, 17, it says, For all of us, we are told to obey our leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Sadly, I fear that within the church we often end up at odds over who is leading the church and we don't obey the leaders and submit to them. Listen again to these strong words from Hebrews 13. For they, the leaders of the church, are keeping watch over your souls and they will give account for this. Man, that is serious and sobering a reminder for us. Are we praying for them? Are we submitting to them? Are we making life with us easy or hard for them? And then, 
are we as leaders in, in Bethany Bible Church, are we in deep enough relationship with the individuals that make up the BBC family that we can keep watch over their souls? Are we humbled and sobered by the reality that we're going to give an account for how we lead, how we husband, how we shepherd Bethany Bible Church? Again, for you note-takers, here's your summary. Husbands, the best way to see your wife and family give their lives to Christ is to submit your family by putting them first. Servant leadership. Not yielding your responsibility, not giving it away, owning it, taking it, and to honor your wife as the weaker vessel. Because for us to not do this hinders our prayers for their salvation. Let me try to give you the picture of what that that is supposed to look like. If you're the husband here this morning and you're saved, but your wife is not and your children are not, Imagine that you're praying for them regularly, faithfully, pleading, pounding on heaven's doors for the most important decision of everything in life for their salvation. And yet as you go about your conduct, as you go about your job, as you, as you relate to your wife and you relate to your children, you're doing it and your conduct and your integrity doesn't match. Would that hinder your prayers? Absolutely. Absolutely. So if you look at the whole picture and not just the words out of context, we are all to submit to one another. We are all to conduct ourselves, as verse 8 says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. All of us, the church, the best way to see civil authorities, bosses, family members, and friends give their life to Christ is to have unity of heart to be compassionate for one another, which means basically responsive to each other's needs, love each other like family, and have a tender heart. If we all lived this way, all of our relationships, including even our enemies, would would be showing them Christ and, and, and why He came and who He came for. The 2021 American Worldview Inventory just recently came out from the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University, just up the road here at Thunderbird and 59th. Some very alarming trends in our culture and our American mindset continue to show up in the research. As a result of it, it led George Barna to say this, a faith that esteems brokenness, submission, surrender, sacrifice, and simplicity is in some ways antithetical to the American ideal. But that is the ultimate choice that every one of us has to make. Let that sink in. And please notice the repetition of Barna's words and Peter's words. Submission from both of them. Surrender from Barna with with the idea of of surrendering and and submission. Sacrifice from Barna and from Peter, the, the, the cherish, and from Paul in Ephesians 5, and honoring. Simplicity from Barna, and in that I see gentle and quiet spirit. The word choice, of course, we've said submission is a choice, and the idea of brokenness, humility, tender-hearted, compassionate, and loving. Living this way is absolutely antithetical to the American ideal, and that is exactly what Peter was telling these believers about their culture. Christian marriages, Christian relationships, Christian churches 
are to be radically different than the world we live in. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm finished. But I hope as, as, we, as we finish this, I hope you haven't just been triggered by the words in these passages. I hope you can really hear the heart of Peter. Don't get hung up on the word submit and don't get, get, don't get uh, all bent out of shape out of the weaker vessel reference. And if you're here this morning, especially if you're, if you're one of the ladies here and, and you're a hard driver, you're, you're an extrovert, and, and you are prayerfully seeking God's face as what's, what it looks like for you to be you in this world, in this culture, and to be a gentle, quiet spirit, and what that looks like in you specifically. And then let's embrace the challenge that's super relevant in our culture to conduct ourselves, to live with integrity, to adorn ourselves in such a way as to attract people to Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate challenge of everything that Peter's had to say here. You know, it's possible that you and I and Bethany Bible Church are the one that some of these people are looking at to see how they will respond to Jesus Christ. Would you join me as we close in prayer? Father in heaven, thank you so much for the Holy Spirit who inspired Peter with these words. Thank you so much for um, allowing us to be the fragrance of Christ to you. Thank you for the, the, the challenge for us today from your word. God, please, uh, please, Holy Spirit, have freedom to work in our hearts and minds. And I pray that you would direct us at Bethany Bible to be attractive to everyone around us. Please give us a spirit of uh, humbleness, a spirit of unity, and... Um, a tender heart to one another, in Jesus' name.